My guest today is Susanna Polo. This is Dave Tack, and we are going to talk about Deadpool 2, and she's going to teach me a lot about comics, including the X-Force and Cable's wild backstory. You are listening to Polygon's Quality Control. You're, you're back. Yes. We're back talking about movies. Yes. <laughs> Comic book movies, shockingly. Mm-hmm. It's my, it's my specialty. Uh-huh. You know about them, and I just watch them and have fun. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you get more work out of it. So I have to rope you yeah, in yeah. to these quality controls. Yeah, no, I'm here. You know, I'm just here to help. <laughs> Thank you. So I thought maybe we'd start with just like setting the stage about, even before we dive into Deadpool 2, and we'll fire off the spoiler horn and talk about the spoilers later, so... Nobody has to worry about that right now. But, like, we, we can talk about, like, how is this thing even a franchise? Right. <laughs> um, and, and, like, how we got, even got to this, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a sequel that I think is expected to do really well that only happened after a first movie that never – or that almost never happened, right? Right. Yeah. So the, the place we are now is, is that Deadpool inexplicably is becoming the foundation of the modern X-Men franchise, which is weird. But, I mean, to, to, to get to the beginning of that story, you really have to go back to Wolverine Origins, which is mm-hmm. a movie that a lot of people want to forget ever happened. Um, <laughs> that I, I, have, I, have some, I have some appreciation for it. I don't think it's a good movie, but I do have appreciation for it as an experience. But anyway, mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds played... Deadpool in that movie, in Deadpool's sort of first, Wade Wilson's first cinematic appearance, and it's sort of a universally reviled adaptation of the character. Um, yeah, it's not the Deadpool we know from the movies. Yeah, the yeah. Like, he gets experimented on, but there's no, like, there's no overt humor to the character. There's no none of the fourth wall breaking stuff, none of the meta humor mm-hmm. of Deadpool. They like sew his mouth shut and he just becomes like the unstoppable monster that Wolverine has to fight at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So Ryan Reynolds, I'm not exactly sure that whether he was a fan of Deadpool before he took the role or became one after sort of fans got attached to him and were like, you know, hey, like we like you, but this version of the character is bad. But he um, sort of took it upon himself to really push, like, hey, if you want to make a Deadpool movie, I will be Deadpool again. We can get this right. Yeah. Um, And that sort of bubbled under the sort of like Hollywood rumor mill for a while um, until he got together with the writers and I believe also the director of Deadpool. Um, And they started working pre-production on a – the original Deadpool movie. Um, that came out a few years ago. And they started working pre-production on Deadpool and even produced a sort of um, pitch film for Mm. how the action sequences in a movie with a main character who can't be killed and is, you know, super self-referential and is aware to a certain extent that he is a character in a movie, you know, how that could all sort of like play into the style and tone Mm -hmm. um, of a superhero franchise, which, you know, at the time was not something that... Seemed like a safe bet. Um, no. Superhero movies very much kind of have the same tone in contrast to comics, which, you know, like have had decades and decades and decades more to really, you know, the superhero, the superhero idea is is a more of a trope than a genre. You can make take the superhero trope and put it into 
any kind of like any kind of tone, any kind of setting. You have your space heroes and your science heroes and your magic heroes, and um, and the and the cinematic superhero world hasn't quite reached that level of we can have funny superheroes and we can have serious superheroes and we have superheroes that break the fourth wall and and so Deadpool along I think with Guardians of the Galaxy are sort of like our first. Um, and I think also Thor Ragnarok does a really good job of like yeah. of it being like it doesn't have to be good guy, bad guy, serious all the time, or even like serious, but you know our ba- our good guy's a real sarcastic one, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> sort of Tony Stark mold. But anyway, so they um, they're working on this pitch reel, and they the project winds up getting shelved. I think almost literally, if not literally, like mm-hmm. they make the four minute demo reel. And then it just sits around for four yeah. years. Yeah, it just kind of goes nowhere. I don't think they ever revealed who it was. Ryan Reynolds says it wasn't him, says he mm-hmm. doesn't know who it was, but has expressed gratitude to mm-hmm. whoever leaked that test footage online. Um, and there was a huge sort of fan, very positive fan reaction to, you know, these four, six minutes of footage uh, of a fight scene that wound up being in Deadpool 2 as sort of a, a nonlinear framing device for the first half of the movie. Yeah. Um, and they made Deadpool 2. It came out on Valentine's Day. February <laughs> is not a month where you put movies that you expect to succeed. It's not really an action movie month. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, now Deadpool is the highest grossing X-Men film ever made um, by a pretty decent margin. Um, it kind of took everybody by surprise. I think even folks who like were big fans of the character wouldn't necessarily have expected um, a Deadpool movie to do better than, you know, the X-Men first class franchise mm-hmm. um, or anything with, you know, the classic Professor X versus Magneto stuff in it. But yeah, so that's how we have gotten to Deadpool 2, that, you know, Deadpool is now Fox's safest bet where the X-Men are concerned. Yeah. Um, and they're sort of trying to use him as a foundation to make more team X-Men movies by um, eventually putting an X-Force movie into production. Yeah, and I think we'll talk, uh, when we get to the sort of spoiler part, we'll talk more about who's in this and what the X-Force means and yeah. and things like that. But like, I, I mean... It, from my perspective, I didn't. I mean, I knew who Deadpool was, and uh, you know, had some uh, experience with him as a as a comic character. But like, I didn't have high expectations for the movie or anything. It was just. It was almost like, I mean, for a self professed comic book movie nerd as I am, for some reason that I can't even remember, I just wasn't super hyped for this one. And then I saw it, and it was. Not like the first Deadpool's title sequence was <laughs> enough for me to just go like, like there's there's a way to look at the last you know decade of of big blockbuster movies, and you know somebody could roll their eye and say like roll their eyes and say oh another superhero movie great but like I think the the thing about Deadpool that 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 made it I mean in part that made it so popular and unique is that it took an R-rated approach and and allowed the character to be unlike any other character you see. Like you said, not not super self-serious or not kind of funny or winky or naughty. Like it, it's just, it was a funny, dirty, grimy, uh, raunchy uh, mm-hmm. often yeah. movie. But, 
beneath it all, I, the thing I, I mean, I watched it again uh, before I saw Deadpool 2 this week. And what I, uh, what I remembered, what I was reminded of, is that I think the movie worked really because it, it sort of balanced the, the over-the-top stuff, the raunch, with heart. Like, it was really a love story. Yeah, it it really surprised me when I went to see it because there's there's a certain perspective, there's a certain perception of Deadpool fans in comics fandom. There can be a sort of disproportionate number of jerks in the Deadpool fandom <laughs> um, or a disproportionate number of um, sort of line crossing jerks in Deadpool cosplayers. Mm. Sometimes you don't know whether you're going to get you know, the person who's very nice to interact with as a cosplayer or the person who thinks that it's funny to push boundaries as a Deadpool cosplayer. And I think... Maybe being a little too Deadpool. Yeah. And so my worry going into the original Deadpool movie was like, is this going to be mean humor? Mm -hmm. Or is this going to be... Like, is this going to be humor that takes a step back and goes, okay, you know, actually being mean isn't funny. What's But it's easy. And what's harder is to be funny without being mean Mean. to people. And I found that overall, like Deadpool and and I think even Deadpool, too, like the Deadpool movies are funny in a very positive and like open and inclusive way, Mm -hmm. which I which I think the the sort of like narrow perception of Deadpool as a comics character and, and a bit and a portion of his fandom, the narrow perception of them can be is that they are people who take this character as a license to be a jerk <laughs> that, that only works if you're deadpool yeah and when the best deadpool stories the best deadpool stories are one of ones about how like yeah he's this mercenary but like he has lines and he has friends and you know he has people that he loves um and it's just that he also knows he's a comic book character <laughs> right yeah a lot a lot of self-reference uh yeah. which they obviously carry into the to the movies and, and then like build on that so that it's it's yeah, he's not just aware of he's aware of everything is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. But I I loved I loved Wade and Vanessa in the first film. And I loved how sexy their relationship was and how loving their relationship was. I loved how we got to see him cry like mm-hmm. really like just like sniffle and like feel really bad about a very bad situation, you know, in a in a in a uh, in a genre that's usually so hyper masculine and so like divorced from its characters feeling their emotions it was a unique origin story in that like they and it was obviously an origin story of deadpool but they didn't start with you know peter parker getting bitten and then just move from there like they started in the action and then sort of rewound and told stories in parallel and then caught up to itself while making the it's it's, it's one of the things i think that impresses me most about this is that you have very little time in a movie, you have two hours, maybe two and a half hours to get people to buy into whatever emotional story you're trying to tell. Right. And like this movie, uh, the first Deadpool, I think, succeeded at making me feel for the characters in it, making me believe that the two characters who were way off the wall were in love in the span of, I, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 minutes into it, like not buying it to buying it to feeling really bad about what was happening. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It- Oddly, it really succeeded as a romantic comedy. Yeah, I, 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 I absolutely believe that. That's, I mean, that's why I loved it. Like, you can, part of the way I think you get away with going super over the top is by grounding it with something else, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just, it doesn't, if it's not all in your face, it's much harder for me to roll my eyes at the in, in your face 
parts, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it's it's the the idea that he knows he's uh you know, Deadpool knows he's a force for good struggles with that but will not allow anybody to call him a hero. Yeah. Heart of gold kind of thing. And I I enjoy it. It's not it's nothing new, but it worked I think really well for for the character. So now we exist in a world where, you know, a movie they that I think Ryan Reynolds said tried to a movie he tried to get made for like eleven years and only happened because of this. I I, I mean I take him in his word. I didn't check this, but like <laughs> they leaked that four minute effects reel, like the last day of the Comic Con or the second to the last day, and mm-hmm. then like they had a green light within twenty four hours, and it turns out to be this huge success. So there's a lot riding. I think on the uh, on the sequel, like the question mm-hmm. is, can they maintain that? So, yeah. I think this is probably the time to uh, to to blow off the spoiler horn and, and talk about whether or not we think they did succeed. And you know, l- like I said, b- bringing you in to teach me about the comic stuff that I don't know and mm-hmm. what they're kind of setting up here. So, I'm Josh Topolsky. I'm Ryan Hulahan, and we do a podcast called Tomorrow which is really about what's happening in the world. And sometimes we talk about things that aren't happening in the world. Things you need to know. Things that are in outer space. You know, lots of different stuff. But the point is, listen to the Tomorrow Podcast. You can find it wherever great podcasts are sold. You're an adult. You're an adult. You know how to find a podcast. You you clearly found this podcast. You can find another one. It literally is cost nothing to you. So just give it a try. Just tap into this sweet, sweet stuff. Yeah, here's the spoiler horn on loan, as I always say, from the incomparable a podcast and a podcast network that uh, produces great stuff and you should listen to. So, I think you and I are in agreement about Deadpool 2, which is, uh, I mean, I think from from 30,000 feet, here's what I'd say. I think it's a fine sequel. I think it's fun. I enjoyed myself. I don't think it's as good as Deadpool. Yeah. I think it we spent we just spent a bunch of time talking about like the heart at the center of Deadpool and I felt that yeah. that was that wasn't really there enough in Deadpool 2. Yep. Um yeah. and I mean we can start from the beginning that the first and maybe it just colored it for me that the first thing the movie did was kill Vanessa and that really disappointed me. Yeah. Um it's it's not only just like kind of bad for continuing like what made the first a lot continuing yes. one of the elements that made the first deadpool like really special um but it's also in a really really like it's a trope in comic a very very common trope in comic books mm-hmm. that has been criticized for over two decades um this isn't like a new thing that we're just starting to talk about that killing this hero's girlfriend so that his story can become about how bad he feels that he couldn't keep his girlfriend safe um, is something that has been going on for com- in comics for a very long time. You've seen it, yeah, a and of times. also yeah, and also has been like really soundly criticized and talked about and examined. Um, and there is really no excuse for doing it in a comic book story these days because we have like we have really examined why you know it's why it's just really a bit of lazy storytelling that is also like not good for your female characters. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had a similar reaction, although from a slightly different perspective and, and I maybe sort of having shot myself in the foot by watching Deadpool one the night before, you know, 24 hours before I saw Deadpool two, which is that whole first movie is about getting them back together. 
and the first thing they do in the next movie is separate them again. Yeah. And I felt I felt a moment of like when I watched The Force Awakens and it like realized that Han and Leia didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And like my heart wanted to be like, no, 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 no. And then I had to stop myself and say, wait, go, go for the ride. Don't spend the rest of the movie like feeling awkward uh, or, or disagreeing with a decision. Just see where this goes. But it did feel like they spent a whole movie setting up a thing that could be great. Yeah. Only to re redo the the motivation of the first movie, and in and by the way, in a in a movie where that is not afraid to mock lazy writing. Yeah, I'm not saying it was necessarily lazy writing, but like it 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 was just it was yeah. a bit of a replay, and I didn't like that. And it's like nobody like Deadpool isn't a character that's really suited towards like having angst. Um, which he just kind of has for the rest of the movie. Like, he's sad that his girlfriend died, and it motivates, like, everything that he does. Um, and it, and it's weird, too, because they tried to draw a parallel between him and Cable as both people who have lost, like, their, you know, their loved ones. And it's it's weird to, it's weird for, those characters are, are you know, they're, buddies in comics they do you know they have this sort of frenemy like antagonistic <laughs> partnership thing going on um but as opposites you know as cable being this very like serious like everything's important like he's got big guns and he's you know he's got big shoulders and you know wade is like this like slim ninja kind of guy and with swords and like smaller guns and he's happy yeah. and he's excited and joking and like making fun of stuff all the time um whereas cable is a character who couldn't be less referential like if you tried <laughs> um or less self-aware sort of like as a you know as a, a, a an archetype in comics um, right. And to like put them both and be like, no, like what actually brings them together is that they're the same. They have this in common. And it's like, that's not like they're both sad about a thing. And it felt it felt untrue to sort of like how the characters interact um, in like the sort of classic, like the reason why everybody likes that partnership. You know, the other thing about the story that sort of washed over me uh, at, at some point was that like. This is a story about how a time travel a time traveler uh, arrives in the present to kill a kid who grows up to be a supervillain who kills the time traveler's family. And I realized at some point as I was watching the movie that that's actually the plot mostly of uh, Ryan Johnson's brilliant 2012 science fiction thriller called Looper. <laughs> it also happens to be the plot of this movie, mm-hmm. except without the, uh, you know, the, the, the twist of the time traveler and who he is. But like, I was just, I was surprised when I realized that that was basically what they were doing, mm-hmm. which I had already seen in some other place. <laughs> well, that's not an uncommon, that's, that's not an uncommon um, plot line for the X-Men. The really sort of famous X-Men time travel plot line is called Days of Future Past, um, all right, no, I'm not thinking of Days of Future Past at all. I'm thinking about um, this X-Men character called Bishop, whose whole deal is that he's from the future and okay. he comes, he winds up back in time with the X-Men and he is showing up there to try and stop this great catastrophe from happening in the X-Men that there's a traitor in their midst and he's not sure exactly who it is, but he has his suspicions. Um, and it's sort of a combination yeah. of him like, 
meeting people who are legendary heroes in his time and having his sort of expectations of them as real people being adjusted and also like him coming back and setting off like this whole big plot line about Gambit maybe, you know, Gambit may have, you know, may be the traitor, but maybe he isn't and like, you know, whose Mm -hmm. word do we take, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it was it was fine. It was just I was just su- surprised that I realized it was so it was so mm-hmm. easy to sort of make a joke about it. Um, I, you know, I, but like I, I don't think tonally, like I think tonally, part of what made the first Deadpool so refreshing in a world where superhero movies are now common is that it you know it 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 did what we talked about earlier, which is like it goes its own way and Deadpool does his own thing and the side you know like. Part of the sense of humor is, frankly, very similar to mine, which is you just say things that are utterly untrue for the sake of laughing at them. Like, just say the opposite of what you think, and it makes people giggle, <laughs> including me. And, like, I, that that was all still here in this movie. Although, I felt like it felt like sort of a roller coaster for me, because I think some parts of the movie hit way better mm-hmm. than other parts of the movie. Um, in that sense, you know, like there were parts of the movie where I was cackling and there were parts of the movie where I don't, I don't, I don't know quite how to say this. Like maybe like some of the joke, not that they were played out or anything like that, but it felt like some of the jokes were TJ Miller's character. I don't know what it is, but like, that's a good example. I think of like how he was acting exactly like his character would have, uh, except saying like slightly less funny things than he did in the first movie like oh these were all ad libs and these were like the 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 the, the mm-hmm. b things that we cut out of the first movie just it didn't quite capture that yeah magic, i think uh, all the time. i think i feel about deadpool 2 in the same way that i feel about guardians of the galaxy volume 2 that um a lot of the which is not to say that like guardians of the galaxy and deadpool aren't like good achievements in their own right but that a lot of how we feel about them comes from um, them being very new and doing new and interesting things and really Mm -hmm. surprising people. And the problem with the sequels to both of those movies is that they're still good, but they don't surprise anymore because they're just, you know, they're doing the same thing that the first movie did because that's what you liked the first time. Um, And you still like it now, but it doesn't have that extra layer of like, oh, cool, I'm seeing a new thing. I'm discovering a new thing. Well, that's the thing about sequels, right? Is like, if you're the creative mind behind a sequel, I imagine that what you don't want to do is continue to make a variation of the same thing you did before, right? Yeah. You've got to keep it interesting for yourself, if no one else. Although, clearly, other people are part of the equation here. And so, like, I admire the idea of of making a sequel that is not the same as the first game, the, the first game, <laughs> the first thing you made. The, I guess the question is like, how far do you take it before it's different? Like, you don't want to you don't want right. to run into a situation where you're you're in self parody or you're you're a band making the same album the same every time. Yeah, how do you reinvent what you're doing, but at the same time make sure that it's it captures the same feelings that the original did. It's it's a it's yeah. definitely a tough thing to do, but I don't think you can blame an audience for being like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's like the first one, um, and just being being and feeling yeah, that right, that is exactly. like serviceable. But you know, it's you can't. There's a certain extent to which you can't recapture like 
making the first funny superhero mm-hmm. movie, you know, or, you know, for whatever right. soft right. definition that that is. I admire the, 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 I don't know, gumption is maybe the word I'm using or like the idea that like this Deadpool says it at the very beginning of the movie. This is a family story. And you can see how the if the first movie was if they sat down and said, we're going to make a love story for the first movie dis- disguised as a superhero movie. They had the same sort of idea about making like a family movie or a family story. I just don't I think they made it less successfully than the love story they made before. That's all. Yeah, I think that they really they wanted it to be um, they're so excited about it being sort of a bigger action movie and a bigger like funny movie that they kind of didn't leave enough room for the emotional stuff that we got in Deadpool <laughs> in Deadpool 1 and I never really felt like the characters were as connected as I wanted them to be um sure. I didn't really buy why Wade was super invested in Russell except that the movie keeps telling yeah. me that he is <laughs> through yeah. Russell was not particularly likable uh, mm-hmm. you know Wait, Russell is Russell's Fire Fist. Okay, yes. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to tread very lightly here because I do not want to bash a kid. But I didn't think he was particularly. He had a lot of weight on his shoulders, mm-hmm. and I was not invested in him in the way that you would. I, I think you mm-hmm. would want audiences to. Be. I think they just didn't give us enough time with him being vulnerable. We got a lot of time with Russell being funny or Russell yeah, trying that's a good point. Russell trying to be a tough guy and Russell being very angry and wanting revenge. But we never really got a lot of time with like – I felt like Russell being in a relaxed state and not trying to like posture or get – you know you know what I mean? Um, yeah. No, I, I get that. And I think there's also – I think this speaks to have not having a lot of time – like this runs kind of dangerously close to having too many characters in mm-hmm. the movie. Like the thing that first entered my life when I watched Batman Returns, they were like, what's better than one bad guy? Two bad guys. And we'll make the movie about that and not quite give everybody enough time to be whatever. You know, like uh, I think that's a it's a very hard thing. We talked about this. I, I went on and on about this when we talked about uh, Infinity War, but like. Uh, it's hard when you, you know, like there was a central antagonist in the first Deadpool and uh, there wasn't quite that in this, which made it not necess- not a bad decision from its inception, I don't think, but it was tougher to sort of get your arms around that. And then you throw in all of these other characters because clearly what they're doing is trying to create the X-Force, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it became um, sort of, a, a, they had a lot to do. Yeah. By by virtue of the story yeah. they were telling. And we you know, we blew off the spoiler horn so we can say like X Force oh, yeah. they form X Force and then murder almost everyone. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is like that's a good goof and I like it. And I like that you put it in all of the trailers and then you murdered all of them. Uh-huh. But also that sure took up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you, you know what? This is the perfect opportunity for you to teach me. Sure. The, your student. Yes. So like, can can we talk about the X Force as a thing? Right. And like where it exists, comic book wise. Yes. So what you have to understand for a lot of like sort of Deadpool and Cable and a lot of their associated characters like Domino um, and Shatterstar 
and, and a sort of a lot of folks from sort of associated with them is that they um, all sort of came into existence very quickly in the very early 90s from the oh. pen of an artist named Rob Liefeld, okay. um, who is kind of infamous. He's had a very long career in comics, but he's kind of infamous for uh, not drawing human people very well. <laughs> um, okay. he's, he's, he's sort of notorious for like, you can look at Rob Liefeld drawings and be like, oh, he does not like to draw feet. Is that that was the joke? That was the foot joke that I didn't get. Yes. Okay. Yeah. If you um, if you've ever seen um, a drawing of Captain America where it looks like his chest is kind of hinged open, and his head okay. is very small, uh, and it's uh, all right. I, w- I won't describe it. But if you Google Rob Liefeld, one of the top <laughs> one of the top sort of search terms is will be compilations of like Rob Liefeld art. Art. I don't want to drag on Rob Liefeld because yeah. um, he's not. You know, he's he. From what I understand, he's a super nice guy, like mm-hmm. person to person. Um, and uh, but Rob 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 Liefeld was among this generate this new generation of comics artists in the early '90s, um, who sort of were part of this really fast, like seismic shift in tone in superhero comics. Um, you probably have an idea of what comics were like in the '90s, mm-hmm. like sort of very gritty, a lot of like people with a lot of pouches and big guns and people gritting their teeth and um, and all that kind of stuff. And that's uh-huh. very much a product of this, like, generation of artists. You've got Todd McFarlane coming in and creating Spawn, Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld are both starting up at Marvel. And they become this generation of very famous artists. Um, I won't get too much into that because that's a whole, like, talking about what the 90s meant in comics. And what I'm really trying to say is that um, all those Cable, Deadpool, Domino and all those folks were part of this shift. And Liefeld, and it all happened sort of like very quickly. So X-Force happened when you t- we went from, when Rob Liefeld got put in charge as sort of the, the artist and the plotter of the New Mutants, which is okay. one of um, the first, it was, I think, very almost, or if not all, enough, the first X-Men spinoff book, other than Uncanny X-Men, the main title. And it was about a younger generation of mutants, and it was very sort of soap opera-y and kind of like about, you know, about adventures, but also about emotions and the relationships between the characters. Um, and Rob Liefeld got put in charge of it and was basically, and sort of very quickly turned it into what he really wanted to do, which was a very action-oriented, like explosions and fight scenes kind of comic. And so right around New Mutants 100 in 1990, he and writer Louise Simonson um, start kicked off X-Force, which New Mutants just turned into X-Force. Um, okay. He took sort of that group of characters, um, got rid of some, added a bunch more like Cable and Domino and made that his like, I'm, this isn't a story about young mutants at the Xavier School anymore. This is a comic mm. about a black ops group that Cable is the leader of, and they're all mutants, and they do black ops mutant stuff. Got it. Uh, they're mercenaries, and they you know do all kinds of combat missions. So that's what X-Force is. X-Force is the mutant black ops team um, in the same way that, like, Suicide Squad is the, you know, the supervillain Black Ops team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, there are there are a few others, but they're probably I could name other sort of like Black Ops superhero teams, but they're yeah. you would not have heard of them anyway. So <laughs> right. but it is it's a you know, it's a trope. Um, and that's that's 
that's basically all you need to know about X-Forces. It's the X-Men, but they're mercenaries, they do wet work, they don't do the saving people stuff, they do the we-get-paid-money-to-go-do action uh-huh. movie stuff. <laughs> Well, that sounds like it would work really well for a major motion picture. Yeah. Is there one in the works? Yes, there is. Fox is, they haven't, you know, we have no release date and we have no title. We don't have a lot of casting information. Um, But sort of all signs point to Fox is definitely planning and hoping to get an X-Force movie off the ground. With Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool in it and with Josh Brolin reprising his role as Cable as Mm -hmm. the leader of the group. I love the moment where he called him Thanos, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. So good. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's part of the heavy lifting I think I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. right? Which is this is not just a Deadpool movie. Like, yes. You have to convince Deadpool to team up with people, which is not necessarily something you, you would take from the guy in the first movie mm-hmm. wants to team up pe- with people down the line. So it's it's it definitely had that, that weight to carry uh, through this movie. And it's, uh, I mean, obvious after if, if you sit and watch the the during credits. I guess it is. Yeah, the, the mid credits scene. Yes, right. He, he was able to uh, able to undo what the <laughs> yeah. movie did proper. Yeah, um, a little bit. I think. I think the joke there was that he only saved Peter and didn't save <laughs> any of the other members of the X Force. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, we um, we we talked to sort of the writers and director um, here at Polygon. Um, specifically sort of about that scene um and they sort of let us know that uh that as far as they're concerned like it's comics anybody can come back yeah. you know mm-hmm. if they want to bring one of those characters back they're just going to do it or maybe or maybe they won't you know i really hope i really hope domino comes back because i loved her fight scenes uh-huh. in the movie they i think they were some of the best in deadpool 2 um, yeah right like it, it was such a good setup right because like the mocking Luck is not a superpower thing. F- felt like okay, I can I can see where he's coming from with that, but also they just disproved it to the point where he had to admit, yeah, it was cool. Like you know, within the context of the movie, yeah. Just God, the the bit where they're all like where the truck is going off the bridge and they're all falling out of it in front of this giant explosion, and just in the background behind Domino, there's a giant inflatable panda, and she just crosses her arms because she knows it's going to be okay. <laughs> It was beautiful. Right. And like perfect for the tone of a Deadpool movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it worked out really well. Yeah. How did you feel about Cable as a as someone who knows him from comics and, mm-hmm. and how he wound up in Deadpool? Well, so I was really looking forward to sort of explaining Cable's backstory because mm-hmm. it's his his sort of core concept as a character is not super complicated um but the the story of how he got his backstory is incredibly complicated okay um the wisely i think the the writers of deadpool 2 uh decided that they were just gonna kind of not cover his backstory it's changed a little bit um cable in the comics does not have he doesn't have a family in the future and he doesn't come back in time in order to kill somebody before they grow up to become a supervillain. Um, but he is a guy who comes from the future to the present in order to accomplish sort of a changing something in the future kind of goal. Okay. But that's kind of where the similarity in their backstories um, uh, ends. That in the comics, Cable is, to put it very simply, Cable is the son of Cyclops and Jean Grey, Okay. who was sent into the future as a baby in order to save hmm. his life. 
Um, Grew up there as sort of a military commander fighting a war against the future version of an X-Men villain. And then eventually Mm -hmm. came back to our time in order to accomplish some really nitty-gritty, like, stuff that I won't even try to explain to you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But basically to make the future a better place. And then he stuck around. And his sort of, like, big narrative features outside of his origin story are that, you know, he um, he hangs out with Deadpool a lot. And um, in the late 2000s, he was part of a, a storyline where um, there was this particular uh, mutant baby who was going to, who, you know, people from the, you know, timeline shenanigans, it, everybody knew that she was going to grow up to be a really big deal. And a lot of time travelers were very interested in finding her and doing away with her. And Cable mm-hmm. took it upon himself to take baby Hope and go time traveling and time hopping around to evade everyone who was trying to kill her. So sort of Cable sort of was on this very, one of his sort of like really quintessential series is about him being this sort of like lone wolf and cub, like grizzled warrior and tiny baby like trying to evade bounty hunters through time sort of thing. Um, so that's like kind of who Cable is. But the real the reason why his backstory is like legendary among people who read comics as being incredibly complicated is that mm-hmm. his backstory was never originally intended to be what it is. Um, originally, oh, really? Nathan, Nathan Christopher Summers, no wait, Nathan Christopher Charles Summers, his four mm-hmm. names, so the right. child, Scott, um, Cyclops' son, was not never intended to be the character introduced as Cable in New Mutants in 1990. They were not intended to be the same character until about oh. three years after Cable was introduced when folks who were not the people who created Cable decided that they would link them together. Um, huh. So... I could go. Would you like me to go through the entire history of this editor, this bizarre editorial decision? Did people know that at the time, or did this just come out later? Like you said, it's infamous. I just wonder. Well, like, it's well. Let me let me go through it. So, like, to really get to the heart of it, because Cable isn't even technically Jean Grey's son. <laughs> technically, okay. he's. He he's the son of a clone of Jean Grey, who mm. was married to Cyclops at the time. So, I hate in when that in nineteen eighty. <laughs> In 1980, Jean Grey died for the first time. Like, okay. the Dark Phoenix saga is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And very close after that, um, uh, X-Men writer Chris Claremont introduced this character called Madeline Pryor, who looked a lot like Jean Grey, but it was intended to be completely coincidental. Like, he, he okay. put Madeline in the comic in order to serve as a new love interest for Scott because he wanted Cyclops to be able to graduate from the X-Men and retire and, like, start a family so that he could have other characters come in and be the X-Men and be, like, sort of the center of the story. Um, and that the problem, the editorial disagreement there was that a few years after that, um, a couple other writers wanted to come in and start a series called X-Factor, which would reunite the five original X-Men. The okay. problem with this was that Scott was retired and Gene was dead. So they figured out a way to bring Gene back, and okay. they decided they would just have Scott come out of retirement. The problem with that was Scott and his wife Madeline had just had a baby uh... that month. So Scott coming back to the X-Men and Madeline leaving, even though Madeline told him, if you go back to the X-Men, I'm going to leave you with our one-month-old baby, made mm-hmm. him look like an incredible jerk. <laughs> uh-huh. But he does it anyway. Um, and then Madeline just kind of disappears for a while. And this all culminates eventually in a series called Inferno, in which Madeline sort of becomes revenge crazed. She gets magic powers and she decides to take it all out on, you know, the X-Men. 
um, at which and she runs into the supervillain Mr. Sinister, who reveals to her that she is not Madeline Pryor. She is a clone of Jean Grey that he created because he <clears> believes <throat> that the eventual child of Scott Summers and Jean Grey will become the ultimate mutant, and he wants to control that ultimate mutant. So Nathan Summers, little baby Nathan, right. is this ultimate mutant. Um, and Madeline eventually sort of like in her attempts to kill Jean Grey winds up killing herself. She comes back later because it's comics, but, um, yeah. and Scott and Jean wind up taking baby Nathan. So now Scott and Jean, they're so kind of in love with her. Their relationship is complicated, but they're not married, but they are co-parenting baby Nathan. And that's sort of where we are at the end of the 1980s. And then in 1990... Completely independently, huh. Rob Liefeld, Louise Simonson, and their editor Bob Harris sort of like come together to make Cable as a character. And the original intention for Cable is just that he's this sort of military guy. They wanted him to contrast with Professor X, who, you know, you know, superficially at least, as you know, he says, he's a pacifist, like he wants to do good for mutant kind by having the X-Men be heroes and, you know, show that mutants aren't all evil, whereas Cable is like, I'm going to take these kids and we're, I'm going to teach them how to fight and teach them how to protect themselves and, like, I, my whole deal is about middle, military training. And they wanted him to be that kind of contrast as a new leader for the new mutants. And there were some rumblings then of, like, well, may, oh, and uh, of, well, you know, maybe, like, we know he's from the future, and maybe we can link him to a current X-Men character, like all grown up and from the future, and come back. Yeah. And Rob Liefeld wasn't really into that idea. He was much more into the idea of um, giving Cable this nemesis, Strife, who he introduced in the comic. And he started seeding all these hints about how Cable and Strife were actually the same person, but just at different parts of their sort of like time-traveling existence. So that was the status quo for a little bit. Cable was over here and baby Nathan Summers was over here mm -hmm. um, until the folks who were writing X Factor at the time decided that they wanted to make that link. So they had baby Nathan Christopher get infected with this thing called the um, techno-organic virus, which would slowly convert his body into like bionic parts and eventually uh, kill him, okay. which is why Cable has all those bionic parts. Um, and the only way to save him was to give him to this sort of time-traveling group called the Ascani clan who would take him into the future and keep him safe there and keep him from being killed by the techno-organic virus. Um, and they were going to take him into the future and because he was prophesied to be their savior in the future. Um, so they do that. Scott and Jean give up their son. And they take him into the future. And then a few years later... In Cable's first eponymous series, the first his first solo series, that series is finally the one that confirms that baby Nathan Christopher, sent into the future with a virus that gives him bionic parts, grows up to become Cable, who comes back to the present with his bionic parts. Well, that that answers the question I was going to ask next. <laughs> and to to further underscore all of that and to make it like 10 times weirder. A few years later, when Gene and Scott finally actually got married on their honeymoon, forces from the future pulled their minds out of their bodies, brought them 2,000 years into the future, put them in new bodies, and had them raise baby Nathan Christopher for 12 years okay. before sending them back like the moment that they were to the present, the moment that they were taken out. To their honeymoon. Exactly. Right. So Cable is baby Nathan Summers, who is the son of... Scott Summers and a clone of Jean Grey. He was infected with a trans the the techno organic virus sent into the future 
in order to save his life, where he was raised by the re-embodied minds of Scott Summers and Jean Grey, spent several years as a military commander, defeating a villain in the future, and then yes. came back to the present. Obviously. For reasons that are so obscure, I, will, I won't even explain them here. <laughs> so, to sum up... <laughs> How do you do that? Cable is weirdly this character whose backstory, like you can, you can, his backstory can be as simple or as complex as you want it to be. It can be as yes. complex as what I just described, or as it, it can be as simple as, look, he's the son of Jean Grey Cyclops. He was sent to the future. He's back now as like an old, a grizzled older warrior guy, and he's doing stuff. He's doing superhero stuff in the present day. But what's fascinating about his backstory to me is how you sort of get that pretty, you know, not not uncompelling, like, nugget of a backstory yeah. from these editorial decisions that were completely at odds with each other. Like, we want right. Jean Grey to die. Oh, no. Well, now we need her back again. But also all the stuff that we put in place because she died, we have to reverse that, too. Now we have to resolve all of that stuff, all the characters who were pissed off because we brought Jean Grey back. Yeah. And now we've got this different character, and we've decided we're going to link him to all of that. Right. <laughs> against the wishes of a creator who has been setting up a completely different backstory for him. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. So and it's it's just this it's it's a very much like a thing that could only happen in comics. It could only uh -huh. happen in a story that never ends where we keep adding on to it and we keep tying everything into everything else. And it's it's fascinating to me that the, all these different decisions made over a period of like 13 years or more. Yeah. Could accidentally come up with something that is actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's a cool story. Yeah, and come up with a character that everybody is like, "Oh yeah, put him in a movie, put him in a movie. We got to see him in the next Deadpool. We got to make an uh, we got to make a team movie where he's the leader." Um that all these sort of accidental decisions created a character that people like enough and that's compelling, a character that's going to, you know, probably going to get a lead role in an upcoming superhero film. I certainly imagine he will. Right. Like, I mean, they spent as as much time on him as I mean, the only p person competing with him, uh, I think, for screen time is Deadpool. Yeah. Although he did get introduced fair, like surprisingly late into the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I mean, I don't think it was a problem, but I was just surprised. Like, oh, yeah. uh, I forgot he was he was coming. And I really felt like Josh Brolin was having fun as Cable. Mm -hmm. He's good in superhero movies, yeah. turns out. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about what. What this means in real life, like let's <laughs> let's assume mm -hmm. that Disney buys that the, the Disney Fox that acquisition is goes through. Very much up in the air. Nobody yes. really wants, you know. Obviously, since it hasn't gone through, nobody really wants to talk about what ifs. Nobody in the know wants to talk about what ifs right now. Fox has said it's just business as usual. We're going to move ahead with yeah. the, what they have said. At least is that it's business as usual. They're moving ahead with all of their plans. They haven't decided to – they haven't – they aren't changed – they say they're not changing anything. And the folks over at Disney have also said sort of like we don't have any plans vis-a-vis -vis what to do with Fox's Marvel Universe once it comes over. We're – you know, like Kevin Feige I think has said like we're just focused – we're focused on ourselves, you know. No, we're focused okay. on our own house, sure. you know, um, and getting, you know, phase four off the ground. So the, it's it's all very up in the air. Um, I'm not sure exactly where like we are in terms of where how, where that agreement is at the moment. I think it's currently in like sort of a 
uh, regulatory body decision zone yeah. to like, you know, antitrust kind of stuff. Yeah. Like in, in that, it has to get approved. Um, and I don't, I, I can't, I, I can't honestly say like where that is in the process or have like any kind of informed opinion on that because I haven't looked into it in a while. But yeah, like that, there isn't really a lot that we can confirmedly say about what's going on vis-a-vis -vis the Disney Fox merger or acquisition or, you know. Right. You just have to assume that, I mean, I mean, part of this deal has to be the idea of uniting uh, even more properties, mm -hmm. that, the, the, the rights to which they sold off. Yeah. I, uh, you know, under one house. Um, although I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, like there are ideas, people have mm -hmm. ideas somewhere. But yeah. I, I guess what I'm trying to say mm -hmm. is I find it hard to believe that they would just wholesale subsume Deadpool into the MCU, yeah. Except that he clearly must be part of the MCU, mm -hmm. right? But like almost on a parallel track, uh, right? In, but in it's sort of sense, in the same right? way that like you know we can look at this happening already with with Spider Man, where they're making a Venom movie. Um, mm -hmm. it, yeah. It's not going to have Spider Man in it. Um, well, it's mm, probably not going to have Spider. It's not going to have Spider Man in a major role. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, and you know. Surprises, whatever, you know, the barring surprises from Sony, Sony Pictures, it's not going to have Spider-Man in, in the movie at all. So is it a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Marvel says it isn't. Would Sony like you to think that it is? Sure. Probably, yes. So the, I think that that's probably, that is maybe the sort of Spider-Man model of um, Marvel, Marvel's relationship with the Spider-Man Homecoming and its further further direct sequels um, is maybe more of a model to sort of like pay attention to when trying to guess like what Disney would do with the X-Men um, and the Fantastic Four. Like I think we're much more likely to just see if the sort of that if that all goes through, we're much more likely to see a Fantastic Four adaptation first, hmm. just because there's no current cachet to the Fantastic Four as a Indeed. film brand. Indeed. And man, I would I would love to I would I have thoughts about how I would put the Fantastic <laughs> Four into the current Marvel Cinematic Universe because I think that, would, that you could do that in a really fun way. But that's that's beside the point. Um the the general idea is that like no, like we can we can try and draw conclusions from the way um the Marvel Cinematic Universe has handled its uh, agreement about Spider-Man. Um, we can try to, you know, think about how, you know, Disney wouldn't want to just scuttle the X-Men franchise because there is stuff there. Um, but sure. ultimately, it's sort of we don't really have any, like, real conclusions that we can draw. At the very least, they'll be able to say mutants instead of enhanced one day. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming this goes through. They can forget about the Inhumans even more than they already have. <laughs> Well, Susanna, I feel like I understand a lot more than I did uh, when we started. So, thank you for. Uh, oh, I'm so glad for dropping all that <laughs> comics knowledge, and and again for for joining me on Quality Control. Media Podcast Network. All right, cool. Cool. Anything else that you wanted to talk about? Oh, I didn't no. say I love Dopinder yet. No, but... I think that was good. <laughs>